It's my pleasure to be back in the pulpit here at this opportunity. It's always a beautiful time for me. Today we have a, a, a title. Let me get my notes out here, right? Okay, there we go. I'm glad we have a broad pulpit here. So. My topic today is something that I've ministered at for many years, and I still feel like I don't know what it is. But I know enough about it to be able to share this morning some of the most powerful things in the fact of sharing our most precious gift, the gospel. And the good news, this church is all about that. Our pastor is all about that. Pastor Lou, who has led us in the gospel, preached the gospel, stood for the gospel these many years, and I'm so thankful for that. But today, sharing our most precious gift, the gospel. Peter, in his epistles, he said, unto you who believe, he is precious, whom having not seen you love, and though you see him not, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's Jesus. Peter said, he is the precious, precious gift of our faith, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter called him several times precious. It's precious. It's precious. I thought about the things that I have. He said it's precious like gold. If you look down on your hand, some of you have wedding rings and gold this and gold that, and you realize probably one of your gifts that you don't want to lose today on the way out on the ground. Because it'd be very, it's very precious to you. But living in your heart, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, living in your heart by the power of God's Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ and dwells us by his Spirit. And he is my most precious one. That's what Peter had to say. And Peter knew what he was talking about. He had grown up in the faith as a young disciple, and now he knew. And you know what? Jesus, who is the one who died for us and established the salvation that we now so call precious. This one has left the church to be advanced primarily witness to witness to witness to witness, and that's you and I. And that's the story of redemption. We're imperfect, but we've been chosen by the Lord of the ages to take the gospel, this good news, to a lost and fallen world. He has left us with that, with that charge. And I say, thank you, Lord. Because Christians need to share their faith in all kinds of ways. And today, many Christians don't share their faith. I'm not sure if it's out of fear or whatever it is. They say only a few out of 10 Christians share their faith. There's a fear that comes out. I don't know if it's a fear of talking to others about things they think are private. The reason I have this message anyway is because some people ask questions. You ask questions about giving out your faith. And uh, it makes a lot of people nervous to share their faith. They think it's a private thing. Than that. But you know, Christ led us to himself by his power of his Holy Spirit through a witness. When I was 14 years old in Queen Solo, New York, a man asked me, he was an next door neighbor, didn't know him that well, he asked me if I'd like to go to church with him on a night. 
And I said, yes, but they had a snowstorm up there and they, we, we had to cancel it. We sat in his car outside his house. And he gave me the gospel in such a way, it, was, it wasn't like forced, but he was a neighbor, I was trying to find out him, and he shared the gospel with me so powerfully. And he said, it's a gift. If you died today, where would you be? Do you know you're going to heaven? I said, yeah, I don't think anybody could ever know that. That's what I said to him. And he, he shared with me how I could. And by the time we got done, he said, anytime you ever want to come to know Jesus and you want to ask him to be your Lord and Savior, call me, I'm, I'm around. I said, I'm not leaving this, I'm not leaving right now until that happens. I'm not going anywhere. And so he prayed with me, but he said, you have to pray and tell the Lord that you're sorry for your sins and you need Christ as your Savior, and I did. It was 1969, and I've never regretted it, and I've also realized that we must share our faith, because that's how I came to faith, was a man who loved to share his faith, and he's now in his 80s, and him and I still talk. He's in Maine. He's a maniac. He always was a maniac. But the fact of the matter is, sharing our most precious thing. But it's nervous. It's nervous. It's like this little girl in the back seat of a car. Man took his daughter Barbara out to get a driver's license. But he was going to take her to the high school to show her how to drive. You know, the parking lot in the high school. Be careful when you see erratic behavior in a parking lot at a high school. You know somebody's teaching your daughter how to drive. And in the back seat is a three-year-old girl, her sister. And so she hits, she hits the brakes to jerk in the car, and then she bams into, the, into a, a bumper on, on the curb. And all of a sudden, from the back seat comes this. God is great, God is good. <laughs> Let us thank him for our food. <laughs> and the sister stops the car and she said, what are you doing? She said, your driving is scaring me and that's the only prayer I know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you feel that way about gospel presentation, but the God of the ages wants you to share his precious, most precious gift to us and the gift that's precious to us, the most precious thing with others. And we're going to talk about that now. We're called to be witnesses for Christ. I chose Acts 1.8 because this is what Jesus told some pretty timid and scared disciples. And he was on his way to heaven. And he said to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And they really hadn't got a clue what they were really being called to. But he said, I'm leaving you with the task of taking this precious gospel to the world. <sighs> Lord, help us. The word witness is the word in the Greek language, martyr, that we get our word directly for being a martyr. We know what martyrs are. They, they put their life on the line for the truth. And sometimes the cost is very high. It's almost like also used as a witness in court to attest to the truth. You're just there to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, and everything in the truth, just tell us. And that's what being a witness is on the stand if you've ever been in court. He doesn't want your opinions. He doesn't want 
you know, how you think about the judicial system. He just wants, tell us what you know. Tell us the truth. And that's what Jesus was going to say. You go tell them what you know. Tell them the truth, because I am the way, the truth, and the life. With sincere kindness, Jesus and his truth must be shared. It is not a self-powered thing, though, and I'm glad for that. Because it's Holy Spirit empowered. So you, you don't, it's not that you have to be the one doing it, per se, but you are doing it. But the Holy Spirit of God will empower us, and I've watched him do that in my own life and what he's done empowering the believer. So he says, and the Holy Spirit, be waiting for the Holy Spirit, he says, because when he comes upon you, you'll have new power. And I never realized when I was growing up what God was gonna do for me, but I've been in front of people from governors all the way down to some of the lowliest people from the street, neighbors and people who I'm kind of always reluctant. Do I have what it takes to share my faith, God? And he says, you just share it. And everybody in this room, you have, a, you have somebody, a neighbor, a relative, somebody that you can share the gospel with and get past your timidity and share that which is most precious to you. And that's Jesus. And that's the fruit of our witness is that people receive Christ. And, I, and I'm always a little timid but then when I see some of the fruit of it, I did a funeral a couple weeks ago for a, a young fellow who was around 20 years old, and he died of a massive heart attack. They don't even know why. He just died of a massive heart attack. Nobody expects to die at 20 years of age. I was asked to do the funeral for Owen. It was there were a lot of tears when young people died. There were a lot of things going on. But one of the things that I could do, and I was so thankful, I could tell the people, he knows the Lord Jesus Christ, he's in heaven. When he was 14 years of age, like I was when I was 14, he was sitting in an Easter chapel that I did, a young man, and I asked people if they wanted to put their faith in Christ and come to know him, that we would do that right then. We had an invitation, and I asked people if they would like to know him as Savior and Lord, and we went through the gospel carefully, and, I, and this hand was up. And he wanted to say, I'm doing it. He found his way into an evangelical church, and for six years, he was discipled by very good preaching. And then I was doing his funeral. I'm thinking, Lord, I'm so glad. I took the time and the effort to reach out to many in the crowd that maybe didn't come to faith, but several did, and he was one. And you'll be able to say to yourself, wow, I have the opportunity to, to help alter the eternal destiny of somebody by telling them about Jesus Christ. And Lord, help me get over my fear. There's a book, How to Witness Without Fear, by Mr. Vey. Uh, the Gideons have published that. There's a lot of different methods for it. But thank God for this Owen, because he's in heaven. Uh, we're called upon to share in this precious gift to share our gospel with family and friends. 
The Bible says you shall love the you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In, in, in Philippians, if you look at that and you go to Acts 16, we won't go there. But Paul and Silas shared the gospel so powerfully that the warden of the prison, when he found out that the prison had been altered a lot by an earthquake, he said, what must I do to be saved? I've heard you talk about being saved. And he gave them the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that warden brought his whole family to faith. He rejoiced with his entire family that he had believed in God. The question was asked on one of the things that you sent in. How do you share the people, how do you share the gospel with people without confrontation or argument? You know, you start out, you have to be a guy, now you're in an argument, says, well, how do you know there even is a God? Well, how do you know this, or how do you know that? And all of a sudden, you figure out you're in an argument. Ah. Right now, what God wants you to do is be loving, be kind, have good, strong relationships as a good neighbor along the way. Pray for them, assure them of your love and care, and be open when that open door is here as you're talking to them. Talk to them about their faith. It's relational. It's friendship. In the old days, there was a whole lot more probably in the church grabbing you, throwing you on the ground, lassoing you, and then saying, okay, you're going to believe it. <laughs> yeah, well, you never knew of evangelism like that. Well, it's more friendship evangelism now. Sometimes it gets down to that point. I'm on the street. I won't tell you how it is for a rescue mission director of 41 years, some of the gospel witnessing I've done. And some of it's pretty strong. But that's for another time. Share your faith. When I was around six, well, I, was, I guess I was 18, I came back home from Bible college and I, I took a job with a blacktop crew for the county of, for the town of Queemans. Didn't know how to do blacktop, but I did after two or three years working the summers to get money to go back to Bible college. I learned it. But I also learned something else. I learned more about doing evangelism because we were talking, crews were talking, often I was with young people, then I was with guys with their, before they went out for liquid lunch, they were, you know, they would talk to me and all of the stuff. I learned all about that stuff. But there were two in, Two guys who I'll never ever forget on that blacktop crew. Totally different sort of people. The first was Frank. Frank was a heavy set, kind of awkward guy, kind of really challenged, came from a broken home, came from a broken family. He was there, he, he was somewhat what people called a little weird. But we started talking and I started sharing my faith with him and I shared my faith with the guy, and we were all together because we were all having to do breaking and talking, and, and the second guy was Paul, and I went to school with Paul, but I was never in most of the classes he was because he was in advanced math, he was in advanced science, he was in advanced everything, and I didn't quite get to that level when I was in high school. The one thing I wish I had learned more was English. If, you, if you're in school now, English and math are, are still the things you really ought to be listening when you're there. <laughs> I caught it later, <laughs> but it's a little harder then. 
but Paul was out of my league. He was in advanced everything I was in not. But we shared, and both those men squarely came to strong confessional faith in Jesus Christ. And both of them asked me, especially Paul, this very, very gifted-minded man, said, help me pick out a study Bible. I see you have a study Bible. He said, I want to pick out a study Bible. And we did. We went together, we picked out a study Bible. Both those men moved away. Actually, Frank often made his way because I brought him to Don Lyon's pulpit. Frank. <laughs> he would sometimes walk most of the way to Westerlo from down in Ravina area. And then Don would say, oh, you don't have to walk, we'll get you around. <laughs> because that's what he used to do, because he didn't have much, he didn't have much money, he would walk. You'd see him walking the roads, but Don Lyon discipled him while I was away. You see, it's life, and, and it gets scary. Who's the next chapter in your life in this room when you say, I, mean, I was scared, I was reluctant, I didn't know, but I knew that person needed Christ, and I had something that was very precious that I could share with them, the good news of Jesus Christ, and I, I'm going to set aside my reluctance and my fear, and I'm going to learn how to relate, how to be a friend, how to pave the way for a gospel witness. Thank God for those men. They've moved into far different places in our country, but when they left, they left with Jesus Christ in their heart. Paul said in Colossians 4, 3 to 4, and you can pray this. I'm praying, pray for us, he said, that God would open a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains that I may make it known as I ought to speak. He said, Paul, I know what I need to do. I need to share the gospel, but I need an open door. And sometimes you'll be, you'll be surprised when God says, look, I'm open the door. This man's interested in what you have to say. And here, I've just allowed you to build a bridge, and now you've got the bridge. Let's now take the opportunity to share the precious gospel of Jesus. And then see what God does. You shall be my witnesses, because it's not just to family and friends, but it's to all the world, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. The church was called a missionary church and continues to be the one. And that church I'm talking about is here. We started this church with the ability to reach out to mission families. So we have missionaries around this world. One of them was just here from Japan, the Mackies. Because they're over there, I, 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 I can't even imagine doing what they're doing, speaking a language that's so foreign to us, and they're learning it and they're having an impact in the, in the, in the world in Japan. And I remember when he, and his host of brothers and sisters were like this big. And God gave them a heart for the gospel to share it in a foreign land. The expository nature of King's Chapel pulpit, this pulpit, prepares people to be a witness. And I thank God for that. Because this earth is short, our relationships are short, people in our families, people who maybe are angry with us, people who, who have said, I have been turned off by the church. I've been hurt by so many churches, don't talk to me about any of that. And you have the ability to come in and be a triage worker. 
And what I mean by that is you don't have to defend anything that church did. You don't have to do that. But you can come in and tell them, no, that the Lord Jesus Christ is much different than that. And we're going to have you see him in me. And I'm going to, I'm going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, secondarily here, we are called, as we, we go forth, we're called to defend our hope. 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. Sometimes, sometimes we believe we must ask the unbeliever about their faith, and that is often what we do. You see the life of Jesus shining in your life, and they're going to ask, excuse me, the unbeliever is going to ask you about your faith. The hope that they see in your life. And that'll be an eye-opener, won't it? When somebody says, can you tell me about Jesus? And you're thinking, uh, you know, and if you're not used to that, you need to start getting used to it. You need to start preparing. Make a defense to anyone who asks you. And we trust. And in this world, there's going to be people who are going to ask you. They're just going to ask you. They're going to say, what are all this faith stuff? I see, I see you carry a Bible, or I see this or that. And now you have a, a segue, an open door to say, yeah, and let me tell you about why I do that and why Christ is so wonderful. He died for me. And you can tell them the story of redemption. The word make a defense Apologia, apologetics is where we get the word. It's just, it's just be able to explain and talk about the hope that's living in you. You're able to do that. Well, let me tell you, listen when you listen to Lou and everybody speaking in this pulpit, read because make every effort to study humbly, be a student of the Bible, able to answer the real questions. You don't have to be a theologian, you don't have to be a pastor, but you know what you believe and why you believe, and you can share that. You, you don't have to go outside of who you are, but that means that's why, you're, that's why we study the scriptures here through the pulpit, through classes, through other things, because you need to have the effort. It's done with gentleness and respect. Share the gospel without fear by way of faith. Another tool I've used a lot, because you're going to often be aided by these things. The effort is best done with gentleness and respect. So, Lord, gentleness and respect. Look, we're going to come in there. We're not going to be a bull in the china shop and, and try to, you know, overpower this person. He says, excuse me, I think I hear my mother calling me. I hope you don't know where I live. Got to be careful how we do how we come up, he says, it, it needs to be gentle and it, it needs to be open to having respect for the people you're talking with. But it also, you know, it, ha it has that idea of honoring the Lord and, and having that answer. And quite frankly, if you don't know something, you can always say to them, well, I'm not sure I could answer that, but I can tell you this about how wonderful Christ is. I can tell you what he can do for you. I can tell you how to get to heaven. I can tell you why he died for you. 
and some of that simple truth is that many of you know it. Now it's just time to share it with others. And of course, no gospel bombs. So when I was in Bible college, I, I, I have to tell you this, but we studied all these methods about how to, you know, we were at all kinds of things. You know, there's things out there, you know, you, you know the four spiritual laws and the this and, and all the different methods. And some of them are wonderful. And people come to faith to them. But a bunch of young people came up with this idea that they would take a tract and they'd take a small stone and they'd wrap the tract around the stone and then they'd put rubber bands around it. And then when they were going by a group of people, like especially teens on the car, they'd throw it in the midst of them as they were driving by. I always thought, I don't think that would be good for me, you know. What if I hit somebody in the head and then they, uh, you think, is this real? It's true. Gospel bombing. Aren't you glad that it didn't take, take on? It didn't take over. So don't use the gospel bomb. But take the word of God. It's powerful, more powerful than any gospel bomb. And then clothe it in humility and care and love for others and go out there. And even in your inadequacy, God will provide adequacy. Just you know, I have a track that I put on the back table. Something that I use a lot is Steps to Peace with God by Billy Graham. It's not the only thing out there, but it's been used by Graham forever. It's back on that table, one per family or so. If you want to look at it, it's fine. It's back there. Because that track has won so many people to faith in Jesus Christ throughout the world. It just takes the gospel, makes it simple, so you can share it step by step. The effort has to show hope and display the love of Christ. I, I like what Wearsby says. One evidence that Jesus is Lord in our lives is the readiness in which we will witness to others about him and seek to win them to Christ. He said that's an evidence in your life that we are ready to witness. And that is we are witnessing and seeking to win people to Christ. In my line of work, as it were, my vocation, the effort will also include working with people in crisis and emotional suffering. Any pastor today, and they'll all tell you here, that's part of it. You will find more people in crisis and emotional suffering in our country than you know of. And the, when you're bringing the gospel out, case in point, we had a guy who did raw iron work like this, but his was so beautifully done. He was like a craftsman, like an artist. He was a hermit, and he looked, he had a beard down, he looked like he just rolled out of Tannersville. By the way, that's where I'm from, Tannersville. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, he came to us and he didn't like government. He didn't really like taxes either. And he didn't like, he just didn't like that kind of stuff. It's okay. I'm not turning you in, I'm just here, you know, we, 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 you know, and he would do this work at the mission, and a lot of the wrought iron fencing out front, he did stick by stick. He was one of the, the most powerful stick welders in the city of Albany, and contractor after contractor after contractor used him. But he loved the mission, he said, I finally found out what you do, and he said, I've just fallen in love with what you do. See, he saw what we did, and he realized we were real. When people see what you do and who you are and what you're about, they'll say, I can trust you. You're real. Well, one day he came to me and he said, 
I don't like doctors either, Perry. <laughs> well, sometimes doctors are good. Let's, let's love doctors here, you know. <laughs> but he said, but I think I have hemorrhoids. I'm sharing, and, and this, I'm not making this up. He said, they're so bad. They were so bad. He said, I can hardly even sit down. And he said, you have a clinic. I've watched it. I've, I put the iron fencing on your whole clinic. I've watched what you do. I love you guys. He said, can, can I go see your doctor in the clinic? I said, absolutely. You come and see the doctor in the clinic. And they came back to me and said, he doesn't have hemorrhoids, Perry. And, and this precious Dr. Kologi, who was one of the best oncologists and now retired, works in our clinic. He said, he has the worst case of colon rectal cancer I've ever seen. This man has one month to live. Wow. That's news. And he said to me, well, I've lived a good long life. I have no regrets. So I said, can, can I come and I, on the phone, I said, can I do a, a, just a pastoral call? He said, please do that. So I came down there, and he lived in a welding shop with a sink and some microwaves. That, but he loved his shop. That, for him, that was home sweet home. And it's OK. And we, I shared parts of the Romans road where, you know, all of sin, that Jesus died for us, he loves us. And we got done and I said, would, would you like to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, come into your heart? And he looked at me and he said, I really would. And we prayed that prayer and we talked and he said, yes. Four weeks later, he was dead. I thought, Lord, this was only like six, six months ago. Thinking, Lord, thank you that, I, that, that you could give me an audience and you opened a door to a man who was on his way to a Christless eternity. The family called me and said, you're the, you're the one that put some joy in this man's life at the end. Can you do his funeral? So I went to do the funeral and I thought, well, probably five, six people there. You know, that man was kind of reclusive. And I got there and the parking lot was packed. And I got inside and the funeral parlor, which was a reasonably large one, was packed. Every contractor and family member of a contractor was there because they loved him. They thought he was the best sculptor of iron they've ever met. And they were there and I was able to share the gospel with the entire group. And I sat down once with the major contractor that did our stuff, and he, he and I talked. He and I talked, and we shared different things, and I said, you know what? I'm leaving, but I'd like to take you out for, for lunch and just on me, and we'll just share. And he called me this week, and he said, Perry, I need to take you up out. I need to take you up on that offer. I'd like to talk with you. I'm thinking, Jesus, because we were more bold to reach out to this one, now others and contractors from all over, and if I named them, you'd know them all. They were in that room and they heard me share, and I shared the gospel with power there because I shared Dennis. But thank you, Lord. I've been in places, I don't know, maybe I'm a mission director and things are a little more weird than I'm in, but we're all kind of weird. Every one of us have our things. 
People want to know who you are. They want to hear that. They want to, they want to, they want to see you in, in raw. They want to know who you are with grace and, and love. And we're going to defend our hope. Aren't we better get going here? I'm in trouble. And over and over, as I've watched people come to faith in chapel at the city mission, some of the most horrific cases of people and their struggles at City Mission in 41 years. Hundreds of people have come to faith, and some of them just said, hey, I don't have anything else left. Do you, do you have anything for me? And yes, we do. Jesus loves you. He died for you on Calvary. He took all your sin and paid for them, and so now he can give you total forgiveness when you step before the Lord, and you can, he'll say, yes, my son has paid it all. And you can have eternal life now as a gift by just opening your heart, and many and many and many have done that. But it's the power of Christ. And the beautiful thing is, he's called you, if you know him today as your Lord and Savior, he's called you to be in that wonderful experience of sharing that which is precious. The most precious thing you have, now you're going to share with others, even if you're in the back seat praying a little prayer. <laughs> Say, Lord, I don't know if I can do it, but I'm a little scared. Lastly, we're called to imitate Christ's love for the lost. Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He's the master evangelist. And when, I, when I'm, I'm trying to get more courage in my soul to share, I go to certain places in the Bible and say, Jesus, how'd you do it? <laughs> How'd you take the good news, because he preached the good news from the time he started his ministry to the very end on the cross saying, you're forgiven, I'll see you today in paradise. He preached the gospel. So if you really want to see him alive, doing what is the most powerful thing, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost, then just look and say, Jesus, how'd you do it? Well, he went to a tough place. And just bringing some thoughts from John 4. He left Judea, passed through Samaria, came to Sychar. Jacob's well was there, well known to Jews. Wearied, sitting beside the well about at the sixth hour, and now he's in a remote place. The disciples are in getting bread, and you know where he is, in a neglected place. You really can't share the gospel very strong unless you identify with people and where they are maybe in their homes, in their place, and that will vary from place to place, that, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go, and I'll go to neglected situations. He crossed the culture gender barrier, a woman from Samaria, she's a woman, she's a Samaritan hated by the Jews because they were half Jew and half Gentile. They had a lot of paganism in them. And she was a woman with a... With a, with a uh, with quite a test, not a testimony, but quite a, a, a reputation. She had had five, she, 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 you know, she had all these husbands, he said. So he pointed out her sin problem in this whole process. You've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. She's empty. She's on empty and she needs Christ. You know how many people that are on empty in our neighborhood and in our whole area here? Many. They need us to bring hope and to bring the, the wonderful, precious Jesus we have to them. It's not just about me, but now it's about you. 
He crossed the gender, racial, kosher barrier. And he was there to do something powerful, to create within her heart a thirst. Now he did it by saying, well, you heard at the well, how would you like me if you knew who I was? I'd give you living water. It would be bubbling up in your soul unto eternal life. He talked to her about eternal life over water and, and it perked her attention. She's thinking, well, spring water? What kind of water are you talking about? I have to go down to this well. You know, and Jesus did that wonderfully. He pointed out her sin problem and then he revealed his saving power to her because as she was talking, all she could keep saying was, well, you know, there's been a hope for us that someday the Messiah will come. And he said to her, I who talk to you am him. I'm the Messiah. And she ran into town and told everybody, come see, the Messiah is here. He told me everything. He knows my life. He knows everything about me. And Jesus Christ loved her. And it was through the witness that he gave her. And he stayed two days and many, the Bible says many came to faith in Christ in that town. That, that is the most wonderful passage because it says when we say the gospel is for the whole world, no matter what you're about, that passage shows Jesus meant it. And he went to them. Oh, Lord, thank you. He's the master evangelist of all time. Well, let me get this. One more. There we go. We're almost done here. There's a little book that I read there, and it may have some value for you. Uh, it's called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. I, I could read this book once a year and should. I love what he had to say in this one section. The belief of, that God is sovereign in grace does not affect the genuineness of the gospel invitation or the truth of the gospel promises. Whatever we may believe about election, and for that matter, about the extent of the atonement, the fact remains God in the gospel really does offer Christ and promise justification and life to whosoever will. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God commands men everywhere to repent, and he invites men everywhere to come to Christ. The invitation is for sinners only, but for sinners universally. It is not for sinners of a certain type, reformed sinners, or sinners whose hearts have been prepared by a fixed maximum of sorrow, minimum of sorrow for sin, but sinners as, as they are, just as I am. And I thank God for that. And God knows, and he is sovereign. He didn't deny that. He just said, man, go tell them. Go tell them. Let them come. And just one last thing from him. One of my favorite hymns of all time, and I'll tell you why. If I can get it in here, I have, it, I have, my, I have my pages marked here. And J.I. Packer put them in here, because J.I. Packer and him were miles apart theologically, but it was Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer. Two days or so after he was saved, he wrote a hymn. Charles Wesley. And one of, the, one of the verses in the hymn shows somebody coming from their sin and their degradation and in their lost condition to Christ. And he wrote a hymn. He said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray 
I woke, the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, I went forth and followed thee. That beautiful hymn written by Charles Wesley only a few days into his faith in Christ when he came to faith. I'm thinking, Lord, that's what it, that's what it is. In conclusion, I just say this. Romans 1.16 declares, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. The gospel is powerful. We have the, we have the privilege to share it with everyone and watch God work through his word. Start where you are. Start with who you know. Get some ammunition by learning as much as you can, as we've talked about. And God will help you. The Holy Spirit says he's going to be your helper in that witness. You're not alone. Share the good news of Jesus and watch the Holy Spirit use you to reach the lost. Uh, I'm just... There we go. I've got way too many papers up here. There we are. Okay. Billy Graham's tract. He says, admit your need. How can you receive Christ? Admit your need. I'm a sinner. Be willing to turn from your sins or repentance and go a new direction. Believe that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and rose from the grave. And through prayer, invite him to come in and control your life through the Holy Spirit. So we're going to end. Maybe you're in this room. You came with relatives. You came with somebody we don't know. But you say, I need to put my faith in Christ. He died for me, and he gives me heaven as a gift. But I've never received him. And to those who receive him, he gave the authority to become children of God, even to those that believe on his name. Let's pray together. Father, there may be somebody in this room that says, they'll pray this simple prayer. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I want to turn from my sins and ask for you to forgive me. I believe Jesus is your son and he died and rose again. I want him to come into my heart right now and take control of my life through the Holy Spirit. I want to trust Jesus. Jesus, come in my heart right now. Lord, for the rest of us that are here that know Christ, Lord, give us a new courage. No matter what the condition of the folk that we're going to, no matter where they're coming for, Lord, prepare us. Open a door. Open a door in this area for men, women, and children to know Jesus, our precious Savior, to have eternal life as a gift through him. Oh, we're not ashamed of the gospel, Lord. We just want to be able to know how to take it out. And this week will be a turning point in some life here. And they said, I shared the gospel finally. Got past my fear. And Jesus is working through that life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.